we have a very strong content warning for today's episode. There will be very sensitive topics discussed today, including violence and strong language. Here's Your Red Flag is intended for mature audiences only. Please listen with care. Lisa and I created this podcast with the goal of enlightening each other and our listeners in prevailing over narcissistic and toxic people and relationships. Our mission with this podcast is to help survivors of toxic relationships recognize red flags and areas of personal growth while equipping them with strategies for ultimate and lasting mental health across all relationships. This is a podcast of self-discovery. We'll be talking about personal freedom, safety, security, and strength while embracing our inner voice, recognizing and honoring our gut instinct, accepting imperfection, showing grace to ourselves, and starting anew. Many of our episodes will include topics such as psychological, emotional, and physical abuse, and detailed narcissistic and toxic behaviors. Our podcast is for educational and self-improvement purposes only and should not be viewed as a replacement for therapy. We are not professional therapists. If you are in need of professional help, please contact the appropriate authorities and see our show notes for helpful suggestions. Some names and identities have been changed for anonymity purposes. The opinions expressed by the guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent Lisa's or my views. You can find additional information about this podcast in the show notes, as well as on our website, heresyourredflag.com. And we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See our show notes for the links. If you have a red flag story you'd like to share for an upcoming episode, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us by email at heresyourredflag at gmail.com or private message us through Here's Your Red Flag Facebook or Instagram pages. Thanks, y'all. I flew up to the mirror Well, there was nothing that I seen You were Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Here's Your Red Flag. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Tony. In today's episode, we get to visit again with Lily. This is an important episode for everyone. Whether you are in a toxic or abusive relationship or know someone who is, this episode will give you practical steps to take and pitfalls to avoid. Much of our audience is made of friends and family of people stuck in these destructive relationships. So we hope this episode will arm you with some vital information that you can use to best support yourself or your loved one through this journey. Today's episode is a continuation of our talk with Lily two weeks ago. And so we're just going to hop right in. And so Lily, when did the scales finally fall off your eyes and what did that look like for you? So the scales fell off pretty early on in the marriage he became abusive almost immediately after we got married. I didn't know at the time that it was abuse. I had thought that it was me and that it was because I was stressed out because of the kids. I mean, that was what he was putting into my mind. So I ultimately believed it because it was stressful to have children. But I knew pretty early on after we got married that I wasn't happy. 
And I tried to convince myself that this is what marriage was about, because that's another thing that him and his mother both kind of ingrained into my head, like marriage takes work. I remember his mom saying there was a time when I wanted to leave Tim's father and I reached out to my parents. They said, no, you absolutely can't come home right now. You have to stay in it. So I stayed in it and she was just like, I'm glad I did. So I needed something in my life to be successful, but the resentment was already there in terms of his erratic behavior, his gentle and high behavior. So they really began to fall off when I noticed how he was with our children. I felt like he was not patient with our eldest, who was just like the sweetest kid ever. He's just, I mean, to this day, he's still a rule follower because I think that that's his, that's his way of protecting himself. He wants to follow every single rule. You know, when I felt that we were in danger and that the kids' emotional health was in danger, that was when I knew that I wanted out. And ultimately, I told him kind of towards the end of the relationship, after about eight years, seven years, I want a divorce. And I actually left. I left for maybe a good six months and I stayed over at my parents who don't live far away. And the love bombing began to happen again. I mean, he was apologizing. He was crying. He was sending me roses. You know, I'm sorry. My mom will be out of the picture. I will, you know, I'll never treat you like that again, yada, yada, yada. And so I came back and it was okay for, I don't know, maybe a month, two months tops. And the cycle started again. Like I remember getting up to use the restroom and it was like maybe three or four in the morning. And he was up with this look in his eye that was just so terrifying, just such a familiar look. And he said, what is it about my mom that you don't like? He wanted to start an argument at three, four in the morning. And I was just like, I'm not having this conversation right now. No, what the hell is wrong with you? He was just always wanting to start an argument. And at the time, I was just really confused because I always thought that it was my fault. Like, I would always think to myself, how could I have done it differently where we wouldn't have fight? Things wouldn't have escalated. But yeah, the scales basically fell off when I knew that I had to get out of there for the safety of my children. You know, a common thing that I heard you say three times, I think, is I thought it was me. I thought it yeah. was my fault. And we're so easily duped into believing that through either gaslighting or just a very weak self-esteem to begin mm -hmm. with and probably a little people pleasing. Right. And yep. your child that is such a rule follower now was taught to behave that way. This is how I get dad's <laughs> acceptance is by yep. doing things the right way and not making waves. And so it's interesting to see how the hardwiring, you know, has now started with the children too. Yeah. So you were so wise to protect them from that as much as you can. That there was a moment I remember that was when I definitely wanted out. There were two specific incidences that maybe three that I remember when I realized I got to get my kids out of here. And there was an incident where he was collecting these Star Wars figurines and he would sell them on eBay, you know, to make a profit. And our son, Hunter, asked if he could play with one of the figurines. It was tiny. It was maybe like two inches at most. And it came with a little scepter that was so thin. It was like the size of a toothpick. I remember Hunter coming home just shaking and he pulled me aside and he must have been maybe five and he said, mommy, and he was shaking. And I said, oh my gosh, are you okay? Mommy, I'm scared. I'm so, so scared. I'm like, what happened? And he was just like, 
I lost the little piece that came with the minifigure. And I said, that's okay, sweetheart. It's okay. You can lose things. It's not a big deal. Can you give me a hug? I said, why are you scared? What are you scared? It's daddy. He's going to get so mad, you know? And I said, do not worry. You can lose things and it's going to be okay. You're still loved. So he was fine. He went to sleep. And I did talk to Tim about this that evening. And he wasn't upset, thank God. He was upset with me. But I mean, when he woke up the next day, he told Hunter that it was okay. And that, you know, not to worry, etc, etc. But the fear in this kid's face, and the shaking and the physical reaction to him losing something so minuscule and worthless, I knew the kids were being affected tremendously. That's one incident that I remembered. And I speak a lot about Hunter, because you know, he was older. Piper was still a baby. I think she was three when we left. But I speak a lot about Hunter because I know that it, the abuse really affected him. After I had Piper, I spoke to Tim and I said, I don't want to get pregnant again. I'm done. I had two very, very rough pregnancies where I was just sick for nine months straight. And I, I literally couldn't even keep in food. So I'm 5'4". I couldn't even get to 130 pounds. I, I, I couldn't even hit that because I couldn't take any food or liquids. And I even had to go to this cancer center weekly to get IV fluids in me. So I was very, very sick with both kids. I mean, they were healthy, thank God, but I did not take it well. So when I left him for the first time for that six months, I said, I need you to get a vasectomy. And he said, absolutely, whatever you want, I will do whatever you want. I will go to the ends of the earth for you to, to make you happy. He did ultimately get a vasectomy. It took like 30 minutes and he was out of there. But there was like a short little recovery. It wasn't even much of a recovery. He could do anything he wanted. He just needed to like not lift heavy things, etc. And our son Hunter took his little stuffed animal and he threw it at him wanting to be playful. You know, he was just like wanting to be playful. He was in a good mood. Everyone was in a good mood that evening. I had decided to take a shower. So I took a shower and I come out and Hunter is sitting on the bed. And again, the physical reaction, he's shaking. And I said, what happened? And he said, daddy said a bad word. And I was just like, what do you mean, Bob? What do you mean? And then he said, damn it. You know, and he was just like, and then he looked at his um, stuffed animal and he was just like, ah! and he was devastated because he threw it at, him and I guess it hit him somewhere in uh, the stuffed animal hit him somewhere in the crotch area and Tim took the stuffed animal and he threw it so hard that it hit our sliding glass door he threw it so hard that it broke the eye and this was his comfort this was his everything I mean if he needed any kind of comfort it was this beat and oh my gosh I was I was just like it's okay it's okay we're gonna fix him and then um, when Tim finally calmed down I said look what you did this is his only comfort he's like it's okay buddy we'll fix it we'll fix it I'm like we'll take him to the doctor and we're gonna fix him up there was nothing we could do about this glass eye. I mean, this thing was just broken into pieces. He would have never looked the same ever again. Bumbles, that was his, the, the bee's name. His name was Bumbles. And he was just like, Bumbles, you know? And he cried to himself to sleep that night. Listen, I said, I'm going to take Bumbles. We are going to take him to the doctor and he's going to come back just fine. And mind you, this bee, he would throw, he would hug, he would do everything with it. It took weeks to find this Bumblebee. I had looked everywhere and I couldn't find him. I found him one that was kind of similar. Um, and he looked at it. He's like, this isn't Bumbles. He's like, 
you see the stitching? It's just not him. So I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. So I had to find this exact bee. And I said, oh, I said, finally, the doctor fixed him. And he looked at him. He was just like, it looks like Bumbles. It's Bumbles. I'm like, yeah, Bumbles is bad. Here, you can play with him. He's like shaking. And I said, Carter, it's okay. He's, he's happy now. You can play with him. And he never, ever, ever played with that bee the same way ever again. He was, I was emotionally scarred from that. He still has it. I mean, up until last year, he slept with it in his bed. That was one of the most heart-wrenching things I have ever, ever witnessed. And there was another time where Tim always liked to play these video games. And of course, Hunter, being a kid, would be like, Daddy, can I play? It was this skating video game. And at this point, Tim had run out of marijuana. So I knew that he was on edge and I knew that anything could happen at any minute. I was in complete fight or flight. I was trying to fight it in my mind and just trying to act normal. So Hunter made this mistake of whatever, something on the video game. And Tim said, he was so young. I think he was six or seven. And Tim said, stop acting that way. You know what you're fucking doing to a kid. He just kept playing. If a normal quote unquote child heard their you know parents say that, I think the reaction would be different. But he just kept saying, okay, okay, I'm sorry, daddy. I'm sorry, daddy. And I was just like, I've got to get the hell out of here. So things just progressed. It got a lot worse. The money, the abuse, the throwing of objects across the room, it got significantly worse to the point where I had just completely checked out emotionally. With the sex, I was, I, I took myself to a different place. I disassociated. When I would hear the car come home, I would pretend that I was completely asleep. My parents live very near us up the street. So I sent the children there a lot because I knew that there would be fighting. He actually ended up using that against me, but the children were there a lot, thank God. And I think that's one of the main things that protected them from so much of the violence. But it was around September. I had both kids and I was on Facebook and I got a message from my ex-boyfriend from high school. And that's what's tricky about Facebook is that they can like really destroy relationships, but not in my case. So he had reached out. This was like my first love. This is kind of like the love that I was always yearning for. You know, we were young, we had broken up and I never found anything like that ever again. And that to this day, I know that that was completely pure and real. But my ex-boyfriend from high school reached out. We were talking. It was definitely like an emotional, like I was checked out. Like I, we didn't do anything, but it was an emotional. I felt like it was an emotional relationship that him and I had. And that feeling that I had made me realize that I need to have this feeling again because it made me feel alive for the first time. Now, granted, yeah, he was married and he had said, I never felt right about this marriage and whatever, right? It's just just the, the same usual stuff that guys say. And I mean, ultimately, nothing happened and we stopped talking. But that moment when I felt so alive again and I felt human was when I realized I have to get out of here. And I think he saw a shift in me that I was checked out and that I wanted out. And I just, because I wouldn't put up with the abuse anymore, something shifted. And I just, anytime there was abuse, I would kind of ignore it. I would go to sleep, but I wouldn't put up with it anymore. I would start to say, please don't speak to me like that. And then he would say, what the fuck is your problem? Are you okay? 
you've lost your mind. And he would say, okay, I know what this is. This is postpartum. Mind you, the kids were like three and seven. And he would say, this is postpartum depression. You know, you need to go to sleep. I think it's because it's, it's a lack of sleep. And he would become this like Google doctor. Sometimes a lack of sleep will cause you, you know, to have these insane ideas will, will cause you to be delusional. I think you're delusional. He knew I took anxiety medication and he definitely loved to use that. Are, are you off your meds? Are you okay? So after a time, I had devised this plan to leave. I remember I had reached out to his family, particularly his mom, hoping that she would be able to help or maybe talk some sense into him. And I said, please, I said, if you could speak to the men in the family, whom at the time I really admired and kind of looked up for, for example, his grandfather, his dad, his brother, I said, please, I need help. I said, I'm, I'm ready to leave. So before I had reached out to them, I used to speak to my, my ex-sister-in-law and myself kind of got into this quarrel early on in the relationship. And then we made up and then we ended up being really good friends. We ended up speaking on the phone regularly. And I would like comment on how bad it was. And she would say, I remember how bad it was. I remember the cops coming. I remember how violent he would be. I remember just everything that she remembered that, that happened because she was there for most of it. So she's like, no matter what, I'm always going to be on your side, no matter what happens. I'm sorry you're going through this, et cetera, et cetera. So I spoke to him and she's like, I will speak to my husband about it, his brother, and um, I'll see what we can do. So prior to all this, I had already devised a plan to leave. I slowly started packing my stuff and bringing them over to my parents. I, I knew that it was the end. I think I had been doing that for like a month. That was that was all I had known. That plan was set in motion. And I think I got that idea online. Um, I remember like, like researching abuse on the internet and them saying, listen, you have to have a plan. You can't just leave. He's going to ruin your life. So there was one evening when actually things were kind of okay. And he actually used to work in the evenings at the time. And I received a call from his mother. And she said, I had spoken to his brother about this. And he thinks that if you are in imminent danger, then you absolutely need to leave the house. But the thing is, I asked them not to mention it to Tim because I was afraid of his reaction. And at the time, I wasn't expecting him to leave that evening. So mind you, Tim was on his way to work and he gets a call from his brother saying, listen, your wife is telling me that you're abusive and what is going on? And at the time, I didn't want him to hear any of this until I was safely in another home with my parents. But he called my mother and he was just like, Isabel, what the fuck is going on? And so Isabel called me and she was just like, Tim knows something, you have to get out of there. And then I remember Bob, my stepdad saying, no, no, he's on his way to work. There's no way he's going to come back here. You can still get your stuff slowly. And then my mom was just like, no, she needs out of there right now. It's going to be crazy. So of course it was. And we rush. And I remember the kids are just happy there. They have no idea what's going on. And we rush. I mean, my stepdad is shaking. My mom is shaking. We rush to get everything out of the house, everything. So he did. He turned right around. I had forgotten something at the house and we were up the street and we saw him coming back into the garage. And we were all so scared. We had all just like pivoted and then just drove back home. That was a really terrifying night. I remember him coming to the house knocking and I was so so scared I was so scared of this guy he was saying I was crazy he was calling my brother he was calling every single member of my family trying to plead his case stating that I was crazy so that was a really difficult evening everybody was afraid to go we had locked everything I knew he had kept the gun in the house and it was just terrifying it was absolutely terrifying 
So moving on, I'm finally there at my parents' house. And um, of course, he's constantly calling. He's He convinced my brother, actually, because I grew up with such low self-esteem. He convinced my brother that it was that it was me. And my brother ended up calling and saying, what are you doing? Why can't you just talk it out? He didn't understand because he lived maybe like an hour and a half away from us. And he didn't understand. He said, Lily needs to go over there and fix it. I mean, he's talking to my mom about it. You know, he's really upset. He's sad about this. I mean, what about the kids? Because he's a lawyer. And he said, think about the kids. The kids are going to be in a bloodbath if they ever get a divorce, which ultimately did happen. So that was really hard because I was already so stressed out. My mom and my stepdad knew everything. And my brother kept convincing them and me almost and my mom that I was the crazy one and that I was just being too emotional. So that happened over a period of months. Then he would try to come and visit the children, which of course I let him because I didn't want him to say that it was alienation, quote unquote. So I would be so scared when he would come and visit the kids that I would literally go upstairs, hide in the closet at the very edge of the house, almost with the lights turned off. I didn't want him to hear me breathing. I I was so scared that he would hear me breathe that trauma. I I did not want him to know that I was there. I will never forget those times in the closet. I would be so scared. I didn't even want to hear his voice. I would put like a pillow. I was terrified of this guy. Okay. Fast forward. I'm out. And finally, I want to get a divorce. Of course, my brother's pissed. He's just like, I can't believe you're getting a divorce. Okay. That happened. Here we go. I get a lawyer, my first lawyer. I went through a few that I just found online who's supposedly the best. And I speak to her for the first time. And she said, get half of your money in the bank. That's yours. So I do that. And he was just like, why did you take half of the money? I would have given you money, which he never did give me money. But that's another, that's a whole nother thing. So I'm talking to this lawyer who now in hindsight, clearly doesn't know anything about narcissistic abuse. And even now I hear myself and I'm talking fast. So you can just imagine the state that I was in and speaking to her, wanting to spit everything out. So she said, so, you know, the state of California is usually 50-50. Of course, my parents and I, because they're so invested in these kids and these kids love them to death. The state of California is usually 50-50. This is if, you know, you want your money. And then I said, wait, hold on, hold on. Um, I said, I don't care about the money. I said, it's abusive. They're being emotionally abused. I said, I I was so naive. I did not know. I said, can I take a lie detector test? And she was just like, no, 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 no. That's not how family law works. So I said, well, but the kids are going to be in danger. He doesn't know how to take care of the kids. He doesn't know how to feed the kids. He's never fed the kids. He's never clothed the kids. He's never bathed the kids, et cetera. And she said, well, he's going to have to learn that. So I'm like, okay, well, what about my kids? So I said, listen, the guy is abusive and I need to remain safe. So she was able to get me something called a, it was basically similar to a, like a stay away order where I had a hundred percent custody of the children until our court date. So she said, you can let him have a few hours, but this is up to you. You're supposed to let the kids be safe. I just completely followed those court orders and they stated that I had a hundred percent custody of the children for my safety. And they stated just everything that I said. So I'm thinking, okay, great. This court system sees it. This was really hard to get, you know, so we prepare for court. And of course, I'm really nervous and we get there. And it's this male judge who, you know, I didn't know. The first thing he said, because I wrote, by the way, like a 20 page declaration of everything that happened, just everything. 
And he said, so I heard that you puff too. He pointed right at me. And that's the first thing this guy said. I heard that you puff too. And I was just like, what? Because in his declaration, he stated that I smoked marijuana, which I didn't. And I said, what? And he was just like, you puff too, don't you? Just like that. I wish I had gotten a transcript, but I didn't even know about transcripts at the time. And then I looked at my attorney because I was so scared to speak. And I said, no. And he was just like, okay, are you willing to take a drug test for it? And then my attorney said, you know, your honor, I don't think that my client should take a, whatever. She spoke up for me and she said the incident with the dog, the incident with the dog where he was supposedly punched in the face. When did that happen? I said, you know, that happened maybe like five years ago. And he's just like, too late. And I was just like, what the hell is going on? And he was just like, you know what? My attorney tried to talk and he was just like, you know what? That's the problem here is that there's so much slander going on. I got to tell you, every single piece of this declaration that you wrote better be true. Don't you agree? And he pointed at his lawyer and he said, don't you agree? I mean, this guy disparaged me in court completely without us even saying one word, not one word. So my attorney takes me, my first attorney takes me into a room with my stepdad at the time. My mom was just too scared to even be there. And she said, I have no idea what's happening, but the judge hates you. I am scared to death. I'm shaking in my boots here. I'm really worried about the kids. And of course, um, Tim is eating it up with a spoon. He's smiling. He hates you. So we're going to go back in there. And I want, so I ultimately agreed to a drug test. And he, she was just like, have you ever smoked pot before? And my head was spinning. I was just like, I, I don't know. And then like, I remember my stepdad going, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I don't know. I said, I remember we went to this political rally and there were people smoking pot. I don't know if I accidentally did. I mean, I could be seeing something as black and they could have told me that it was white and I would have been completely confused. I did not know what was up, what was down, what was real, what was not at the time. So the lawyers talk and we go back in there and he was just like, did you come up with a with a custody plan? Mind you, these kids have never left my side. Me and my parents are the only ones that have ever taken care of these kids because my ex was always high. And he looked at me. I will never forget it. He looked at me and he said, this is ridiculous. You better come up with some kind of custody plan or else I'm going to come up with one that you are not going to like. So we came up with something and it was like, whatever, like he was to see them two days a week. It, and then I remember my attorney saying, your honor, what about the baby? Because my daughter was so young. She was eight months old. And he said, figure it out. I remember sitting there with my attorney at the time. We're trying to come up with a plan. I look up and I see him, my ex-husband, and he winks and he's like, gotcha. This was so terrifying. I go home. I remember my stepson saying, you know, talk to me. I said, I can't. I'm, it was so devastating. I don't even know how I got out of bed. And then my stepdad, he said, listen, he won the battle, not the war. Just remember that. So that was my first experience with the first judge. We go on with this custody situation, with this exchange for a while. At the time, I had asked for a psych evaluation for him. And then he said, okay, cool. Well, if I'm going to get a psych evaluation, she's going to get a psych evaluation. So we're both supposed to go to this psych eval, which of course he chose. And I didn't know at the time, I did not know. I thought if I was just truthful, they have to see this. Whenever the kids would come home to me during this custody exchange, especially my daughter, she would come home with rashes all over her privates. It was bad to the point where I was documenting everything because it was just unsanitary. I remember coming in and seeing the uh, psychologist and I remember him saying, 
you know, you probably shouldn't document that. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to have those. I said, but please, I said, what can I do? And nothing. I didn't, I didn't get any help. So of course I would have to nurse them back to health. And this happened for, I would say maybe a good year after a few months. And mind you, by the way, he was still trying to come back to me after all the judge and all that stuff. And my thinking was that if I was kind to him and if I made it seem like there was a chance, perhaps he would take care of the kids better. My mind was always like, how can the kids be safe? How can the kids be safe? So maybe three months into it, Tim starts seeing someone. I remember being devastated by that. As much as I hated him, I remember being completely and utterly devastated by that to the point where I remember Hunter saying her name. And I remember just not being able to eat, not being able to get out of bed. And I remember, I said, mom, I need to go see a therapist again. I remember him saying, what is it about him? Do you want him back? I said, yeah, I think I want him back. Because I remember him saying, do you see how easily it is for me to find somebody? I'm a great catch. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, was he a great catch? Maybe it was me, you know, maybe all relationships are like this. I remember the therapist saying, what is it about him that you want? I said, I don't know. He was just like on a scale of one to 10. How badly do you want him back? I said, I 10. And I said, I have no idea why. I said, that's why I'm here. And then he said, well, was there anything good that came out of your relationship? And I said, my kids, he's just like, besides your kids, of course, there was nothing. I remember my ex telling me about a time when he said that the last time he broke up with his girlfriend, he sent her to the hospital. I remember my mom going, it was just all so similar. Right before I decided to leave him and all of the chaos happened with the court and stuff, he was having such a violent time at work that his work sent him to go see a therapist. He came back and he said, I know what's wrong with me. He said that I have DID. He's like, it's a disassociative identity disorder. I said, oh, so you're struggling with your identity. I didn't know what it was. So ultimately, now I know that it's multiple personality. He's like, so this was in a state where he's kind of like leveled out and he's a decent human. So in hindsight, there were so many personalities to this guy. So he said, are you able to come with me? And I said, yeah, that's fine. So I met the therapist, Henry. Henry plays a big part in this. And he said, is it okay if I do EMDR on him? So he does. And he was just like, who am I speaking to right now? He said, I'm just really angry. And he was just like, what's your name? Are you Tim? And he was just like, no, I'm just really angry. And I'm like, I have goosebumps all over me. I'm watching this happen. And then I remember him saying he was the protector. That's what he called himself, the protector. And and then... I remember their therapist going, okay, so you're the protector now. What's going on? Why are you angry? And he said, because of everything that's happened in my childhood. And then boom, like he switched within seconds, he switched and he turned into this almost like a little boy and he's crying and he's in this like fetal position. And mind you, I had seen these changes, but I just did not understand. I would not even have thought one iota that this would have been what it was. So he was just like, it's me, it's Timmy. And I remember, okay, his mom calls him Timmy all the time. It's me, it's Timmy. I'm so, so, so sad. And something happens, he snaps out of it and we go home. On the way home, he looks at me and he said, there's no way that I have this. He's lying. And I said, who am I talking to right now? I was just going with what the therapist said. And he said, oh, fuck you. Don't even go there. So at that time, he never went back to the therapist again. Now, I continued to see this therapist because I felt like he was a great therapist and um, just for myself. So that's a therapist that I went and saw when I was um, devastated about him seeing somebody else. So 
he has this thing. And I'm trying to tell the psychologist that is doing our psych evals that this is what's happening. And I'd see it in front of me. And he was just like, I'm always just kind of weary about a therapist. You said this is a therapist, so he's not a doctor. I said, it happened right in front of my face, you know, and I don't know what else to say. I'm afraid that the kids are in imminent danger. So it didn't really help. He had me take this, I forget what the test is called. I had to answer all of these questions. And ultimately, it just showed that I had a lot of really bad anxiety and that I spoke fast when things got intense that I was speaking about. Ultimately, it just said that I had bad anxiety, but it said also that this is common with people that are going through a custody issues. So fast forward, I'm fast forwarding a lot. So his current wife, I'm served these papers in the mail just out of the blue, like it's to go back to court. And um, I know that his wife did this and it was highlighting everything for 50-50. Now at the time it wasn't 50-50, it was like 30-70 or something. And I said, oh my God, they want 50-50. So we of course find a lawyer, my parents and I, I had no money at the time. So they were paying for all of this. And ultimately we did find a really good lawyer. But before we went back to court um, in California, they asked you to do this mediation with a court-appointed therapist, they ask you to do a mediation to see if, because they're so backed up to see if there's, you know, something that you could come up with that will work. Now, the prior mediation that I did with my ex led me to the 70-30 split. Now I go back to mediation and I know now that they actually got sued, these people that were doing the mediation because they were just trying to push you 50-50. So I go back to the mediation and I know I don't want to go 50-50 and I just kind of stand firm. And I remember the mediator going, okay, well, cool. You're going to go to court and all he wants to do is coach um, their soccer games and yada, yada. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. Now, the best piece of advice that I could ever get from a lawyer, because mind you, for months prior to this, I was begging him to have the kids see a psychologist or a therapist. He kept saying no. He kept saying it's not good for them mentally. He kept saying everything under the sun so that the kids wouldn't speak. They always needed the mom and the dad's consent to speak to the child. So I didn't have that for a very, very long time. And what my lawyer said was, before we even get there, I want you to find a therapist that you're comfortable with. So I searched high and low for this therapist, and I found a therapist who understands this kind of abuse and who is very well known and very respected by the court system. So I have her name. Before we get to court, they're gathering up all of these flying monkeys everywhere. And where they're finding them is through the school community. Now, I was the only one for a really long time who was taking the kids to school, who was doing everything, doing their homework with them. And mind you, I'm working full time. But all of a sudden, this new stepmom is trying to be the Piper's class parent, be the head of like, whatever, making gift baskets. So she's all up in there. And so now I can feel people in the community kind of like looking at me, you know, kind of that vibe that I'm getting like, okay, they're judging me somehow. And I remember my mom going, hold your head up straight, stand up straight. You didn't do anything wrong and everything is going to fall in place in the universe. They have no idea. So I have all of these flying monkeys. And one of the biggest flying monkeys is my neighbor. When they had moved in, I thought we were friends. We would just like talk back and forth. They're this gay couple. And one of them, like I I talked to a lot of them. And he's like, how are you? How are things? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's been so stressful. I told him, whatever. I was open. I was candid. I was an idiot. I told him what was happening. That's one with my neighbor. And then 
there was another woman, another mother at school who was the mother of my son's best friend. And now for the longest time, she just stopped talking to me and I never understood why. And, and I was just like, mom, I said, do you see that? What is going on? And she said, don't worry about it. Be classy. And I said, I'm just so frustrated. Like, why are they listening to them? What is happening? I'm literally not saying one word, one peep. I remember speaking to my best friend about it. And I said, gosh, I don't know what's going on. And she was just like, don't worry, be nice to her because you might need her someday because they're always, they were always together hanging out. And she was just like, you know, it's going to come to a head and you know that they're going to have something explosive happen because they always have something explosive happening. So I'll never forget this. It was summer. We were at the pool. I get this ding on my phone. It was her inviting my son to her kid's birthday. She said, by the way, your ex is fucking crazy. I'm like, what's happening? So she tells me what happens in detail. So they have this really big falling out. This is like their third falling out. They have fallen out with a lot of people, but this is the first one that reached out to me. And she said, they basically said that you did care about your kids, that you dressed your daughter like a boy, that, which I didn't, but she loved wearing her brother's clothes, that you always use your parents to take care of them, that you never wanted to take care of them, that you always did drugs, that you hit your kids. I'm so sorry. I said, it's okay. I forgive you. Just remember, there's always two sides to a story. I know it's really easy to get caught up, especially with a small, sleepy town like this. So we're talking back and forth. She said, I'm going to send you a text. And she was just like, I hope it saved your kids. Basically, she sent me a few texts that documented that their home was unstable. And there was a lot of fighting happening in their home. I sent it to my attorney. She's like, this is good. And I said, she's willing to speak. And she's like, no, don't get her involved in this. So I'm like, okay, yeah, that's better not to get her involved in this. Because she was just like, I don't want... Tim knowing anything because I think he's crazy. I think he's dangerous. My husband thinks he's dangerous and we just want him out of our lives. It came to the point where he was harassing them. He was like following them on the street on the way home, all of this stuff. So I have this text from one of their close friends. But prior to that, I remember desperately emailing both of their teachers saying, are my kids okay? My daughter said that um, she was really upset. And I said, I'm sorry for emailing so much, but please know. Um, oh, he didn't have a fingerprint clearance because he had a record from before. I said, please know that, you know, please, is there any way that the mom, that the mom stays away? And I even remember reaching out to the principal. <sighs> That's a whole other thing. She's a narcissist too. And she said, stop emailing the teachers. You know, the teachers are becoming uncomfortable. I need you to stop. She was very, very, very close to my ex and his wife. Very close. Ultimately, I found out that she would be replying to me while they were sitting in her office. So that's the gist of the background. I'm going to go back to the second time we're in court. And it's a different judge. We get to court and Tim speaks first. He speaks directly from his scripted declaration. He's asking for 50-50, but he's working in the evenings. So who would be there to watch the kids? The stepmom. And he's sleeping in the days. How could he possibly be with the children if he's working in the evenings and he's sleeping in the days? And he's wanting 50-50. And he's not there for it. He talks about to the judge, like, I feel like I just want 50-50. I think it's fair. These are my kids too, et cetera. The judge says, okay, when do you sleep? And he was just like, well, he was just like, I sleep. I take a nap. I take them to work. I sleep in between. And it's been working out like that ever since. Now I know that narcissists just want to take away all your joy and all your happiness. 
And then the judge says, okay, well, what are you looking for? I'm looking for 50-50. Then he says to my attorney, okay, do you guys want to speak? And she said, yeah. So she said, your honor, this is absolutely ridiculous. Mind you, before that, she sends, because we have to reply in a declaration before court, she sends all of the text messages in the declaration. So he's read all of this stuff. And he's harassing 24-7 this other woman who gave me this information. She said, this is ridiculous. I just want to show you how much this person has been harassing my client. And she goes over all of the details. I think that this is absolutely ridiculous and that this is just not fair, etc. While she's speaking, he's trying to talk over her in court. The judge is like, please don't speak over me. Please don't speak over me. Your honor. But what, you know, I could see him falling apart because he's being exposed. And then the judge said, did you want to speak to these messages? What is going on here? We're always fighting. It's abusive. Did you want to speak to that? Your honor, that is absolutely not the case. Those text messages have been documented. I warned my ex-wife about this person because she's so toxic. So ultimately... We had another schedule that was better. It gave the kids time with me when he wasn't available. But it was it was something like two days a week, which we had prepared that the judge would probably say, okay, well, let's do three days or something. He said, okay, I don't see anything wrong with this schedule. So my attorney says, your honor, this is what we would like. This, I believe, is what is fair because the kids are always going to be with a parent. And then the judge says, is there anything else that you want? She's just like, yes, we want the kids to see a therapist. And we would like that therapist to be, and she named the therapist that we had found. And then the judge said to my ex, is there anything else that you want to say? And he was just, I I really am concerned about having the kids see a therapist. And he was just like, why? He was just like, because a therapist can make them even more disturbed. And I don't even know this person. And he was just like, well, she's very respected in the community. And he was just like, well, can't I have a say in who the kids are going to see? And then he said, okay, well then who do you want the kids to see? And he's like, I don't know. He was just like, this is what's going to go down. I am going to give you a week to tell me which therapist that you're going to want them to see. And then I'll decide. And he's like, okay, thank you. Because I feel like I'm just not even in the process of this. Judge, these are my kids. Of course, he's crying. And he's saying, I'm renting a four bedroom house just so that they could all live together. And we're one happy blended family. The judge is like, okay, calm down. So what we're going to do is we're going to follow this schedule and you're going to give me a week. Then you guys are going to come to trial six months from now. So it was like a miracle, to be honest. So we're just preparing for trial because we knew that ultimately, you know, this wasn't going to be the end game of it. There was no communication prior to that. All communication halted after that first time that we saw the first judge. And then all of a sudden, my mother gets a call. She doesn't answer it. We're done. And then I had to take my daughter to soccer practice where, of course, he's the coach because most narcissists love to be the coach, have to have the attention of being the coach. That was his main argument, actually, was I coach their sports teams. I'm the coach. I take her there and it's time for us to go back home. But he was just like, here, I'll walk you to your car. And I'm thinking, oh my God, like, I can't, I don't want to just say like out loud, no, I don't want you to walk me to my car. I didn't want to make a scene. So I'm walking my daughter. He's walking next to us and I just want the moment to be over. And he said, can I just talk to you? I mean, don't you want it to be how it used to be? I said, I'm going to follow the court order exactly as it is stated please stay away. I don't want to speak to you. Oh, here's another important tip. If there's anybody going through a divorce or divorced and they have kids, 
please always go on an app that's court recorded, like talking parents, because those things can't be erased. Those things can't be modified or doctored. And that helps a lot. And I remember saying, please, if you're going to have a conversation with me about the children or anything, only do it on the app. He was just like, that's alienation. And he walks away. So of course, I already know that that's going to be his play is alienation. During that second time in court with the judge, one of the things that he was able to get from my neighbor was a notary document stating that I was talking to him about our relationship and about the children. And he's just like, see, I have a notarized document from our next door neighbor stating that I talk about him to the community. I was like really hurt by that because it's like, why would you go to those depths to literally like get up and sign something notarized? You know, that's how much they can convince a flying monkey that they're the ones that are being abused. And that's so hard to prove within the community that if anyone is going through that, I suggest just to hold your head high and ignore because the more you try to plead your case, you're going to look crazy. Okay, so that happens and we're preparing to go to court. Maybe one week later, during my kid's baseball game, and it was a guy that knocked on my window literally to hand me a subpoena. I was served these papers stating that I was stalking my ex and his wife. I wanted to kill her. I wanted to kill the kid or do some serious damage. And attached to it are supposed text messages from another parent at school stating that, yes, unfortunately, that Lily wanted to hurt Devin, who's his stepkid, and that, unfortunately, she is always just bashing Trixie to us. And I think it's just jealousy and yada, yada, yada. There were two very important people here. It was the one mom, Emma, and Lindsay, who is their next door neighbor and who I was friends with that I knew very, very well because Piper and her kids took dance lessons together. There's a message from Emma. There's basically a message saying the same thing from Lindsay. And mind you, the wording and the verbiage is almost identical. They both sign it, but the signatures are almost identical. My attorney wasn't available. She was out of town, but she. But since this was a different case and this was a case about stalking, she gave me her partner, who is a freaking amazing, he used to be a DA. She just doesn't like abuse and all this stuff. And she goes, what is this? And I said, I have no idea. I didn't do anything. And then I remember reading it again and reading it again. And I said, these are fake. I told my attorney, Logan, these are fake. I'm 1000%. Are you sure? Are you sure? Before we go back to the second court, after that first experience with the first judge where, you know, I was admonished in, in the courtroom, I was so, so desperate. And I remember thinking, how do I find proof? Because that judge in hindsight now wants evidence. And that's another key thing for anybody going through this, that if you just tell the truth, that's not enough for a judge. They need hardcore evidence. So gather that up if you guys don't have evidence. But I remember going, I said, mom, I said, I don't remember exactly where I'm just going to have God take me to this place because I know he slashed that dude's tires. And I remember I was there and I remember I freaking was like in a panic. And so my mom was just like, oh my God. So we're like driving. The kids are little in the car. They have no idea what the hell is going on. And I said, I know this is where we turned. I knew where we turned, but I didn't know anything else before that. So I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, my mom is literally praying on her rosary. Right. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. And I said, I have a feeling. I said, mom, that's the car. That's the car. It was an easy distinguishable car. It's like a Toyota that's like square looking. I said, that's the car. And I was so desperate. And I had all of this adrenaline going. This is how desperate I was. This was the day after. And I knock on the door. This guy answers the door. I said, are, is your name Dan by any chance? And he's just like, who are you? And I was talking fast, just like I am now again. 
And I said, you know, I'm coming here in peace. And I said, I just want to know, do you know Tim? And he was just like, what is going on? I don't want that guy anywhere near me. I said, I'm begging you. I said, I'm his ex-wife. I left him. He was abusive to me as well. And I know that he slashed your tires. I said, I know that because I had witnessed it twice. And he said, what? So at first, of course, they're like in this defense mode. And he was just like, do you see all of this cameras? That's because of Tim. I know, I know, I understand. I said, please, I said, my kids are in danger here. I'm begging you, you know, I I just want to tell you that this is what happened. I did witness it. If, If there's anything that you can do to help, because I was desperate. So we've calmed down for a while. I said, Tim said that you were racist. He's like, I'm racist. My wife is Asian. She comes out. She's like, hi. That was one of the main things was he said, this guy, Dan was racist because he had this like Asian wife. It was stupid. So my mom comes out in the car and she's just like, please, kids are struggling. And the wife was just like, here, here. She gave him a yogurt and a, a bottle of water. And then he comes out and he has a stack of pictures of the damage done to his cars. And he was just like, this is because of Tim. This is because of Tim. This is because of Tim. He's like, I will do whatever I can to get this guy back. He writes this beautiful declaration. And I said, well, what about this other person? And he gets he gets a couple of other people from his past job to write the declaration up as well. Lee stated that he would throw tools at his clients, tools at his clients. And he, he worked on cars. He stated that he definitely did slash tires, that they witnessed it. He denied that, by the way, vehemently. And um, he faded. It was somebody wearing a hoodie. It wasn't me. And and anyway, it stated all of this erratic behavior, right? Which I was trying to say, but erratic. And they all signed it. That was a miracle. I remember calling my attorney and saying, I, I got it. I got this evidence. And she was just like, you are a effing rock star right now. Um, I can't believe you got this. The judge is going to be seeing it different too. Now that happened and that helped immensely with my case. So document everything, please. And like, just remember to take in every detail if you guys are going in the thick of this. Here's another thing. You know, we would have to do drop off and pickups. Mind you, in the state of California, you're not allowed to record people um, if it is a private conversation. If it is a private conversation, that's illegal here. I would suggest for everybody to check their state because if it's not illegal, you need to record ASAP. I always had my recorder on because he would always be yelling. And my attorney said, technically, that is for the world to hear. It is not a private conversation if he's yelling at you like that um, in front of his home. I pick the kids up the day before we have to go to court for the third time about my RO with a different attorney. That evening, he said, can I talk to you a second? And then he, he says to my parents, can I talk to you a second? I said, no, I don't want to speak. Everything needs to be on talking parents. And then he was just like, do you want me to drop this effing RO or not? And I said, I don't want to speak. Please have everything written on talking parents. And he was just like, F you, bitch. But that's what he said. He's like, do you want me to drop the RO or not? Right. If they were really scared of me, why would they drop the the request to have the restraining order? So I get that. And I send that to my attorney. You know, I said, my other attorney would say that this is like illegal. And she's like, absolutely not. He, he said that he yelled it at you. He She was just like, that's golden. We need that. These things are happening. And then I remember I'm at work on my break and I get a call from my attorney about the RO. She was just, Lily, there's new development. I need you to sit down for this. 
she was like, we had reached out to the two um, witnesses that supposedly signed the RO, and they're both saying that it wasn't them. This is totally fake. There's a possibility that Trixie is going to go to jail. So I'm like, I'm speechless. And I said, what? We had spoken to them. They both vehemently said one got a lawyer. She vehemently said that it was not her. And the other one stated that it wasn't her. So this is forgery in court, right? So this is a felony. There's a very high likely chance that Trixie is going to go to jail. The goal at that time was we had spent, I want to say maybe $12,000 on that case alone. So we just wanted the money back. And it wasn't really about the money, but I needed something because it wasn't fair at the time that COVID hit and um, she wasn't going to the jail or anything for this. And then my attorney said, listen, you, you're paying me right now to try to get that money back, but you know that you might not get a cent out of it. And then my parents were like, we don't care. We don't care. We just want proof and evidence that she did lie. We don't care about anything else. She was just like, okay, you're gonna, you might lose money. I'm just telling you, of course, I want to get you to get all your money back. But if she didn't pay us, then there was a possibility that she was going to go to jail. Even her attorney at the time when she was talking to my attorney was saying, okay, well, when she gets arrested, when she gets arrested, yada, yada. So we go to court, speak on my behalf. And in the end, yeah, I win. So we get every penny of that back, every single freaking penny. So that's a big one because she lied in court, you know, and he was part of it. And if I had a restraining order on me, there's no way, I mean, it would look so bad to a judge that I wouldn't have the custody that I have now. So, Lily, what is the end of the story with Trixie? What were the consequences she received from forging those ladies' signatures? Additionally, how were you ultimately awarded the 90% custody of your children? So with Trixie, we were really expecting more. Um, my attorney had told me to um, contact the police. She also as well contacted the police. You know, they took her in all of her information, but nothing transpired from it because she kept wanting to pursue taking back her request for a restraining order. So her attorney was really pushing to the way they spun it was, listen, Trixie is trying to make amends with you, Lily. So we are trying to just take away the restraining order in an effort to be more of like a whole family. Essentially, she was just trying to take away because she knew she was caught, right? Her attorney also said, we're willing to take away the restraining order. If you're willing to agree to a, it's called a stay away order in the state of California. And that just means that um, you promise to, it's not quite like a restraining order, but um, it's, it's a bit milder, but you guys just promise to stay away from each other. But then I told my attorney, no, I shouldn't have any of my rights taken away. I didn't do anything. And my attorney said, okay, just remember that if you go ahead and agree to this, because we have to go to court a second time, that there's a possibility that you're not going to get anything out of it. I said, it doesn't matter. I said, if I have that on my record, you know, my ex-husband who's a narcissist will definitely use it against me. He will find a way to spin it somehow. So we went back to court the second time around and she had a completely different attorney because her prior attorney, who was my ex-husband's cousin, recused herself, right? Because her candor is to the court. So she hired another attorney and he was present. I was there and she wasn't there. And my attorney suggested that I speak on my behalf. So I spoke on my behalf in front of the judge and, you know, I told her everything and what had, had done to my life. 
And I remember her attorney taking notes and him saying, well, she's trying to take this away already. She doesn't want the, re the restraining order to go through. So essentially, your client is wasting valuable court time, court resources, you know, during COVID when other people could be in court. So my attorney then said, that's ridiculous. Why would my client do that? She's simply just trying to stand up for herself. So in the end, it looked pretty good, but my attorney did say, you know, nothing could happen for this. You might never get your money back. So I said, okay, that's okay. And she might not even pay you back because at that time I was just wanting to get the money back that we had spent. I think it was close to 12000 approximately $12,000 that, that we had spent just on attorney fees to defend myself. And so we said it was fine. And then a couple of days later, the judge awarded me all of my attorney's fees in the full amount. Prior to that, they were just wanting to, you know, pay for half of it. In the end, that happened. And we made sure because her attorney wanted it to be a sealed case. But I insisted and my attorney really fought for this was to make it so that anybody could walk into the courthouse and see that this is in fact what happened. You know, unfortunately, not much happened with that Trixie person. The cops didn't do much, although it was fraudulent. They, they didn't do much in terms of that because what the police was saying was that she paid me back in my attorney's fees. So they were saying essentially that was enough. And that really took me a long time to get over because I felt like it was just such injustice, despite them paying me back, you know, how could she have gotten away with this and, you know, not have had anything happen. But that took a lot of prayer. That took a lot of just meditation to kind of get over. In the end, when I did go back to court with my ex-husband, so we had gone to court first for child support. And I remember my attorney saying, she's willing to forgo half the amount of child support because he owed me so much money and child support so much um, backup in child support that as long as she continues the custody, this custody with the kids, which was approximately, which is still approximately 90%. And at first he fought it. And when he realized that he was also implicated, then he knew that really they didn't have a leg to stand on. So essentially he agreed to the 90%, but the biggest win there was that the judge stated that, and the children's therapist had also recommended in her report that the children be nowhere left alone with Trixie. They're not to be left alone, not even for five minutes. And in the beginning, they fought that and they said, well, what if I have to go run an errand? The kid's therapist was like, by no means should they be left alone because I don't trust that they will just extend that to say, oh, I was gone for five minutes, but it would be like two hours. So the report from the therapist was vague because it stated that she was dangerous and that she was not to be left alone with the children. And that coupled with her, you know, with her fraudulent papers and going to the extremes of writing fake falsified documents making a false email address and sending, by the way, sending herself and her other self, like these communications, she made that and presenting it to the court as if it was fact that coupled with what the therapist had said, the judge really put a lot of weight on that. And on top of that, my attorney said that she might not pay, but if she didn't pay, then it would look really bad on her. And then like, we could put a lien on all of her assets, her cars, this and that. Ultimately, the attorneys had a conversation and she said, your ex-husband is implicated in this. If this were to go in front of the judge, there's a possibility that he would completely lose all custody. And I said, okay, well then let's go in front of the judge. And then my attorney said, 
But if we go in the front of the judge, there's a chance that you could lose this 90%, you know, which is what they're offering you. So ultimately, he agreed to the 90%. Of course, it was a money thing because he didn't want to pay any child support, which was fine. And he didn't want to completely lose in court. That would make him look really bad. So I received 90% custody. Trixie is not allowed to be in the children's lives at all in terms of she can't be at any event that my children are at. She can't access or speak to any of my children's teachers. She can't go to any of their doctor visits. All of that she's not allowed to go to. And I think that was the biggest win was because, you know, for a lot of narcissists, they'll try to hurt, especially if you have children together, you know, they're going to try to hurt where it counts most. And most of the time that's taking your children away from you, even if they're not available, because he used to do that when he would go to work, you know, he wouldn't be available. And um, he would just have Trixie watch them when I would plead, I would be crying on the phone, please, I'm up the street, please let me watch my own children. So this was a very, very big win. And ever since then, you know, it's been peace, I kind of let the whole thing with the fraudulent stuff go. That was hard. But you know, looking at my life now and how happy I am and looking at their lives and they're constantly still fighting. The children are older, thank God, and how miserable they are. I think that, you know, eventually just karma, there's a way for the universe to balance everything out. And I think, I, you know, in, in hindsight, I'm glad that she did that whole fake RO because I think that really strengthened my case as to why the children needed safety, needed security, because they were just so off the rails insane. So I want people to learn that it's really important to have evidence and to, especially if you're any state, that you have a choice to not go to mediation and you have a choice to fight your case. If you feel in your gut that you're not jiving with your attorney or your attorney is not listening to you, you need to go with your gut feeling. What's most important is to not speak badly about your ex and not try to plead your case to anyone else that you know is possibly judging you because everything is going to ultimately come to the surface. I eventually got about 90% custody of my kids. That's currently the custody that I have right now. I didn't think that I would ever be on the other end of this considering my very first experience on the first day with that judge that we received. So if you guys are feeling down, if you guys are feeling lost, hopeless, this is just the battle. It's all about the war at the end. And if you guys only have a small amount of custody at this point, just give 110% of it to your kids. Just be the best parent you can for your kid while they're on your time. Don't stress that would be my biggest takeaway from this, from this whole thing. Don't stress too much in front of your kids about the court system because they can feel it and they'll think it's their fault. So just be present with your children, your child, while they're in your custody, even if it's 1%, 100%. That's the best gift that you can give them. I agree 100%. And therapy, if you can get a therapist. Mm -hmm. We live in complete peace now. And I just wish peace on everybody. And I'm just so, so happy that I got out. So if you guys are really thinking about it, there is so much peace, so much happiness, so much color and richness to your life on the other side. Mm -hmm. So don't get discouraged. Mm -hmm. Looking back, what would you tell Lily the day before you married him? I would tell her to go with your gut. And I would tell her to not care about the externals if she if at the time she would be able to even understand that that the externals didn't matter that 
nobody else's truth mattered, but her truth. And if she could just stay in her truth, she'd have a lot better life. You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there is no stage. Nobody, you know, you don't have to perform for anybody. Your truth is your truth and you can, you live in it and you're just happier that way. That's beautiful. And we have a gut for a reason. And Mm -hmm. yeah, on our podcast, we know it as the heart magnet and it's never, it will never do you wrong. No, I love that, by the way. I sent that podcast out to everybody I knew with the heart magnet. Oh, good. Yes. Good. Yeah, it's a good one for sure. I think it's worth listening to over and over just to remind Mm -hmm. ourselves. I really do think so, too. And we're I think especially young girls are conditioned in society to, okay, you have to be nice to everyone. You have to invite everyone. You have to accept everyone. And Mm -hmm. we end up to our detriment, putting aside our needs and, and our gut instincts Mm -hmm. when we're told that. And I wish little girls, especially and, and little boys could learn to get in touch with that inner guidance system when they feel negativity and repelled by a person or a situation that they are allowed, they have permission, they can give themselves permission to trust that instinct. To say no. That was really hard for me as a kid. Even now I struggle with it sometimes is to say no, but you Mm -hmm. have boundaries are the most important thing. You have to protect your boundaries at all costs. Yes. And that's what I'm trying to teach my kids are boundaries. That's Mm -hmm. terrific. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I hope there are some school leaders listening to our podcast because I want to say this to school leaders because my daughter is a first grade teacher and currently dealing with a situation where now, at least in our school district, if your child has a birthday during the school year and you want to have a party, then you have to invite all of the kids in the class or all the girls or all the boys or whatever. And this one little girl in her class didn't want to invite all the girls because one of the girls is mean to her. Mm-hmm. And she said, I don't want to invite her to my birthday party. My daughter had to say, if you're going to give the invitations out at school, you have to invite everyone. But I think it's time for schools to take a stand and back off yes. in, in that area. Starting from the age of six, these are first graders. This little girl is learning, I have to invite people who are mean to me to my own birthday party. And that's a slow, that's the first little chipping away of the boundary and trusting our gut and surrounding ourselves with our people and creating and building our own tribe. And I think it's shameful. I think it's absolutely shameful. But it's it's those things that we don't probably realize from the outside. On the outside looking in, you think, oh, that's so nice. No one gets their feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. Well, that little snotty kid needs to know she's mean. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to be invited to parties if you're mean. And you know what? That might straighten her out. But as long as she gets away with behaving that way, she's going to continue. So that's mine. I know that I remember yeah. my daughter saying, She's like, you know, I don't have a lot of friends at school. I only have like two friends. I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, everybody loves you. She said, no, but I only have like two real friends. I said, I'm cool with that. So I'm like, that's amazing. I said, good for you. And I said, what do you do when they're not there for recess? And she said, I'll just do some art. I'm like, that's amazing. And then I'm like, you're not sad. She was like, no, I love school. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, I just, I love that so much that they can see that they're self-aware like that to know who their real friends are. That's important. I don't think they would have seen that had I stayed married to a narcissist. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Or had they not received therapy. You know, I think less is more when it comes to friends. Agreed. Yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love that, that advice that you have. Yeah. Just stay in your own truth. That's Mm -hmm. all that nobody else's truth matters, but yours doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Lily, what resources do you wish you had when you started this journey? I wish that I had known about the healing process and um, I had known about EMDR and what boundaries meant. I wish that I had started meditating before this journey, you know, and that I learned my worth prior to this journey, but I didn't. And that's okay because I'm stronger for it. I like myself a lot better for it. And I'm hoping that despite not having this self-esteem and boundaries or any of these these things to help me heal, I'm hoping that anybody that's thinking about jumping into a relationship like this does that for themselves first, heals themselves, knows themselves, you know, lives in their truth before they go out and meet anyone or jump into a marriage. Yeah. And like you said, trust your gut. Always, always do a gut check, right? 100%. Yeah. So what do you want others to learn from your story? I want others to learn that a huge red flag is when someone you hardly know tells you what you want to hear at all times. I love you, you know, within weeks of meeting. I also want them to learn that just because they have children with a man doesn't mean that the man turns into a man. They Mm -hmm. stay who they are. They don't change for the child. And I want women to know who are in the trenches of divorce to have a solid game plan. That's important because simply stating the truth doesn't work necessarily in the court system. Everything has to be strictly planned if you're in an abusive relationship because whatever you assert in court has to be backed up by concrete evidence. And I want women to know that they will have a long, hard road ahead of them, but to remember that they may lose a few battles, but they'll win the war at the end, ultimately. Is there anything else you want to express that we didn't ask you? Yeah, um, being on the other side of divorce, you know, not having any worth, I've never felt more alive. I see colors more clearly. I feel loved. I've never, at this age, I've never felt more love, alive, desire than I do today. So it's worth it to move on. And your children will eventually understand why you had to do what you did. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. Well, we want to thank you, Lily, for sharing your story with our audience. You really went through some major trauma during the marriage and even afterwards going through the court stuff. You're so brave and such a strong example of strength and endurance. And we know that you have helped others by sharing what you've gone through. And we feel so honored to be on this journey with you. And we look forward to checking back in with you in the coming months as we know that you are truly on a path to healing. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I love sharing my story. I'd love to help as many people as possible and turn this trauma into something positive. I would love that. Mm -hmm. You already are. Yeah. Well, that's it for today's episode. And we thank everyone for joining us. And we look forward to next time on Here's Here's Your your Red red Flag. flag. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. Here's Your Red Flag was written, directed, and recorded by Tony and Lisa and edited by Tony. Our theme song is Butterfly Woke by Jairus. 
If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you would give us a five-star rating. Thanks, y'all. Butterfly, whoa, can I die?